John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. As you're being seated, bow with me once again, and we'll pray over this Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this time You've given us to look into Your Word. God, I pray that the truth in this very Word would come home to us. God, that we would see the truth of our need to be born again. Oh God, we pray, even as Ezekiel prayed, that the wind would blow, that Your Gospel would be clear to everyone here in a saving and personal way. Father, guide us in Your Word. Keep us from misunderstanding it. And lead us to the truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin here in verse 1, but before that, just a little bit of introduction. How important is it that we understand these verses, do you think? How important is it? You don't have to raise your hand, but here's the question. How many of you, whenever you die, want to be with God? How many of you want to know God right now? I'll tell you there are two statements that are made in this very text that tell us how important it is we understand these things. The first one's found in verse 3. Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless what Jesus is talking about here happens to you, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God, much less enjoy the glory of it. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. And then again, Jesus says in verse 5, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Is this a serious thing we're talking about, guys? You will not enter God's kingdom if this does not happen to you. That's how serious this is. That's how important it is for you to know. So with that thought, the title of this message tonight is just simply, You Must Be Born Again. Verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. As you heard in the first part today, this is a historical narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus as He was on the earth. And we know that this is historical because it tells us of this man named Nicodemus, not only a man named Nicodemus, but he's of the Pharisees. You know what that means? That means that if all of a sudden this gospel that's written starts circulating, going around, and people are reading about this guy Nicodemus, they can go to the other Pharisees and say, hey, do you know this guy Nicodemus? Do you know if this was even a real person? There are other people that can corroborate this and tell us this actually happened. This ruler of the Jews. The second thing is, it says ruler of the Jews. You know what that means? Was Nicodemus, do you think, a dumb guy? Was he unintelligent? Was he unlearned? Was he somebody that wasn't trusted with the truth? We said earlier in the other class over there that 
the statement was made that this isn't a good guy. And in one sense, that's true. But do you know what else? This man would have been in his day considered to be one of the best men that lived in this area. He would have followed God's law outwardly and everybody who saw his life would have thought, that's a good guy. That guy has it figured out. That guy knows truth. This is someone other people would have come to and asked questions when they wanted to know about God. Do you know what kind of a guy this would be in our town here today? He would be one of the pastors. He would be somebody that if you had a question about the Bible, you would go to them and say, Pastor, tell me what this means. And so although he wasn't a good guy in the sense that he did reject Jesus initially, as these other rulers of the Jews did, we have to understand that this was, this would have been, this guy would have done very, very good things in front of other people. This is someone you would have looked at and thought, if anybody's going to heaven, it's that guy. If anyone has a right to be with God, it's this guy because of all the good he does. And yet, Jesus says, you must be born again. The next thing we see in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let me ask you guys something. If all of a sudden you were to see some great miracle, if I told you because of Jesus, I can call down lightning from heaven, and then I looked and said, lightning come down, and all of a sudden the lightning filled the room. Do you think that would make you believe in Jesus and be saved? Seeing some great miracle like that, you might think, well, yeah, that would really stir me up. Notice what Nicodemus says. Not just Nicodemus, but the other Jews, the other Jewish leaders. He says, we know that you're a teacher come from God because of all of these signs that you're doing. We know God sent you, and yet they still crucified Him. Explain that to me. How is it they can see all the miracles Jesus did and still not love Him? Something had to change inside them. And my point is this, just because you know something is true, just because you look at the world around you and say, well, I know somebody made this. I know somebody had to have created this. Therefore, there must be a God. I like the Bible because it's what I've heard growing up. So Jesus must be true. Believing on the basis of evidence will not save you. Just because you look at evidence, it does not save you. There's a story Jesus tells one time of a man named Lazarus. And there's another man who was called a rich man in this story. And Lazarus had sores all over his body. He wasn't a wealthy man. He was sick most of his life. He was considered a low-class low, uh, low person. And this Lazarus died. And he was carried to a place of comfort. He knew God. God loved him. He belonged to God. There's another man in the story, a rich man, who had everything life could offer, and he died. And he was taken to a place of torment. Kind of like hell. Not exactly, but close. Pretty similar. He's suffering in this place of torment. And then all of a sudden he looks up and he sees Lazarus and he sees Abraham and he says, come give me some water for my tongue to quench these flames. The burning. He says, no, there's no hope for you. You've already died. The chasm between us, the distance is too far. It can't happen. And he says, well, at least go and send Lazarus to warn my brothers so they don't come to this place. And he says, because if these brothers of mine who don't believe right now, if they see Lazarus rise from the dead, it'll make them believe. You know what the response is given to this rich man? Those brothers of yours, they have the Scriptures. They have the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe because of some miracle. 
They're not going to believe. Do you know what? Jesus did rise from the dead and people still denied Him. People tried to cover up the fact that He had risen from the dead. Why? Because being saved is not about knowing all the right facts. It's about being connected to the right person. It's about God doing a work that changes you inside. Nevertheless, Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus is someone who must be sent from God. Verse 3, Jesus answered him. Now ask yourself this. If someone came to you and they said, listen, I've been watching you. I know you must be someone who loves God because of all the things you've been doing. Sounds like a compliment, doesn't it? Would that be a nice thing for someone to say about you? You, you do good things, and I can tell you must love God. Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, thank you, Nicodemus. Yeah, I am a pretty good guy, and I am from God. I do a lot of good things. You know why Jesus doesn't do that? Because what Nicodemus is doing is he's making himself the authority over Jesus. Nicodemus is saying, we've put our heads together, and because of our estimation, we've determined you must be a good guy. They're making themselves an authority over Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So remember, this is a really good guy on a human level. He does good things. He's respected in the community. He knows his Bible pretty well, though he didn't understand it fully. This is a pretty good guy. And Jesus says, this is someone who if you looked at his life, you would not be able to see sin in his life outwardly. You wouldn't be able to see him doing bad things. Now, how many of you, if I were to look at every moment of your day just today, would I see you doing anything sinful? Would I see you doing something out of selfish motives? Would I see sin in you if I examined your life for the last week, the last year? If you tell me no, well, maybe we can talk afterwards. The Scripture says that we're all born in sin, and even if you're a Christian now, you have sin in your life. My point is this. This man... Is it's extremely likely this man would have been much better person than you outwardly. And Jesus says you must be born again. You think that applies to you? As good as you might be, as many good things as you might do, you must be born again. How many of you have heard of the Great Awakening? The Great Awakening, a period of history in the in this country shortly before the uh, war for Independence, otherwise called the Revolutionary War. Is this ringing any bells in you guys' minds? During this period, right before that war period, there was an awakening. There were many people converted and saved. And one of the famous preachers of that day, one day he was talking, preaching, and he kept saying, you must be born again. And a woman comes up to him and says, why do you keep saying you must be born again? You know what he said? Because, dear woman, you must be born again. Jesus says you cannot escape this. There's no way to the kingdom of God apart from being born again. Nicodemus says to him in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Can any of you go back into your mother's womb and be born a second time that way physically? Is that even possible to happen? No. That's what Nicodemus is confused about. He's thinking, how can I, how can this possibly happen? If I, if heaven's at stake, if the kingdom of heaven is at stake here, how can this possibly happen? Jesus says in verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, I know we talked about this this morning, but what he's saying is basically whenever you're born of water, he's saying when you're born physically, whenever you're in your mother's womb and you're delivered, you're born, that that's got to happen and then something else has to happen. Here's the idea. Have you ever heard anybody say, I've been a Christian my whole life? You ever heard anybody say that? I've been a Christian my whole life. A lot of people say that. A lot of people I talk to in this town. Oh, I grew up going to church. I've always been a Christian. According to Jesus, you're born one way. You're born physically one way. And something else has to happen for you to see the kingdom of God. You're not born a Christian. Even if your parents or grandparents were. Even if you've gone to church every single day that you could your whole entire life. That does not make you a Christian. Something I heard somebody say one time is this. Just because you go to church or do good things doesn't make you a Christian. And just because I walk into McDonald's and start flipping burgers doesn't mean I'm an employee there. It doesn't make me a hamburger either. Here's the point. Something has got to change in me. Well, Nicodemus is confused by this. Jesus goes on and explains a little further in verse 6. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He's saying, as you're born physically, here's flesh. Here's a body. Here is Where your existence is, you exist in a physical body, don't you? You're born that way. You've got to have something about you that's different. It's kind of like this, you know, whenever a baby's born, I don't know if they still do this, but a lot of times when the baby's born, the first thing they'll do is they'll swap their bottom because when they're in their mother's womb, they're not breathing. And then as soon as they're born, they have to start breathing. And so they'll make them cry. And there's this picture that's seen. The child almost comes awake. There's an awakening that happens. It's like they're not even aware of reality. All they know is they're comfortable. They're in this place. They're inside the womb. And then something happens and all of a sudden they begin to see things that they've never seen before. They went from one existence inside their mother's womb to being in the world and seeing things completely differently. And they're aware things are different than I've ever known them to be. They're awake to the world. They've been born. Jesus says that's got to happen to you in a spiritual way. Now, it's important when we talk about the spirit, what we're talking about is that which makes you you that's not limited to physical. What are some things that comes into your mind when you think about the spirit, when you think about something being spiritual? This has to do with the way you think, has to do with what your heart desires, has to do with how you feel. That's one idea of the spirit. And notice, I don't know if you can see this in your Bible, but there's two different words in your text in verse six that say spirit, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, somebody, can you see, is there a difference in those two words as it's typed out in your Bible? You might look at the first letter of those words. One of them is capitalized and the other one is not, which is a helpful indication to us. This first spirit, what do you think that's talking about? It's the Holy Spirit. He's saying that which is born of the spirit, that what the Holy Spirit does is spirit. There must be something within you and the way you think and the way your heart feels and what you want, what you desire. The Holy Spirit's got to do something to that part of you. That part of you that produces everything you love has to be dealt with by this Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. And Jesus tells him in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now what Jesus is essentially saying in verse 7 is you shouldn't be surprised to hear this. Let me ask you this. Are there bad thoughts that go into your head? 
Are there desires that you have that are selfish, that are sinful, that put you above other people? Does your heart desire things that aren't God sometimes? The answer is yes. Yes, there are those things in you that are not good, that are not pleasing to God. In other words, Nicodemus, you should know better. You should know that something's got to change. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's things in us that ought not be there. And we must, it shouldn't surprise us that something in us has to be changed. You must be born again. How does that happen? How is it that any one of you is going to go from this way you're born into the world the first time into this other way? How are you going to be made different? How are you going to be changed in your heart? Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So how does this happen? You're born one way. You're born with certain desires in your heart. The Bible talks about this idea of original sin. Which means that because Adam sinned, the first man sinned, every one of us, we inherit a desire from him that's opposed to God. We're born one way. We're born opposed to God, the Bible says. How is it that that's going to change? How is it that God is going to do something different in you? Romans chapter 3 tells us that there's no one righteous. Not even one. None do good. None seek after God. So here's our position. I'm not good. I'm not even as good as Nicodemus. And he wasn't really good on inside. But I'm not even as good as him. And I'm not seeking after God. There's none doing this. How is it? I mean, it would be one thing if I could say, well, I need God to do this by the Holy Spirit in my heart. Well, maybe I can just go to God and I can convince Him to do this for me. Except the Bible says no one seeks after God. We're not going to seek after God unless this happens. What's the single explanation in verse 8 for how someone is born again? How is someone changed? Ultimately, it comes down to this. The wind blows where it wishes. The Holy Spirit must supernaturally work upon you. Now, does that feel kind of defeating? If I'm telling you, unless this happens, you're not going to heaven unless this happens. That's what Jesus is saying. And I'm telling you, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. There is only one appropriate response to hearing this. Do you know what it is? To cast yourself on the mercy of God. To cast yourself on God's mercy. If I were to say to you, if we had, say, this one little community in town had a king ruling over it all, and we weren't a part of the United States, we're just this one little kingdom, and this king decides everything, and you spent your whole life in disobedience to this king, rebelling against this king, and you come to stand before him, and it's time for you to be sentenced, and if this king gave you what you deserved, you would die. You don't have it. You can't say, King, I've done some good. King, I've got some money to offer you. King, I can do this for you. You can't say that. You have one plea. King, be merciful to me. Jesus is the King. The Holy Spirit is sovereign and He must do this in you and you're completely dependent on Him. This kind of truth in the Bible tells you this. There's nothing you can do to enter the kingdom of God. God alone is the one to save. And what that will produce in you if God is drawing you, if He is moving in you by the Holy Spirit, is a recognition of your sin, 
of God's goodness, His ability to save. That's the thing. If I know this King is the only one who can pardon me for all my crimes, He's the only one I can go to and hope to have mercy with, I'm going to Him. I'm not trying to fix myself or change things in me. I'm running to Him. That's what this produces. That's what that must produce in you. And the last thing I want to look at with you in a lot of these things is there is one thing you're told to do in this text. You know what it is? I'm just going to read through the end of this particular section and then we'll talk about it and be done. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That eternal life there, that's the same thing as this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven that we can't see unless we're born again. And there's one thing you're told to do. Do you know what happened in the Old Testament? God delivers a physical people called Israel. You remember they were in bondage. They were enslaved to Egypt. God delivers them out. Some time goes by. They get to grumbling. They're upset with God. They don't like the way God's taking care of them. Now think how silly that is. God's delivered them out of this slavery and then they get upset with Him for not doing things the way they want. And God sends a curse upon these people and they start getting bit by snakes. And so they're sick. They're, they're dying. They're dying left and right because of snake bites. And God says to Moses, I want you to make this symbol, this bronze serpent, and put it up on a pole, up where everybody can see it. And everyone who looks at this thing is going to be cured of their snake bite. Remember I talked about original sin earlier? That because of Adam, we all have that within us that's opposed to God. It's kind of like the poison of a snake bite. We've all got this inside of us that is not loving God. It's a poison and a cancer and it's killing us. And God says, there's one I'm going to put up on a standard. I'm going to put one up on a pole, on a cross. And if you'll look to Him, if you'll trust Him, You'll be cured, you'll be saved, you'll be delivered, and you'll inherit this eternal life looking to Jesus. And notice, he doesn't say all these snake bites, you need to start coming up with your own medicine and trying to fix it. You need to start making yourself a better person. That's not what he says. You look to the one, you look to the serpent on the pole, believe in the Son of Man, and you will have eternal life. You know what the ministry of the Holy Spirit does? This Holy Spirit it's a doctrine called regeneration. You're made anew. You're born again. The Scriptures in Ezekiel 36 describes this. And essentially God says our condition when we're born is with a heart of stone that does not love Him. And Jesus comes and dies on the cross to pay the debt we owed, the sin debt we owed, and He rises from the dead as many hear about on Sunday morning for Easter. He rises from the dead and God promises that everyone who's trusting His Son, everyone who's looking to His Son, He's going to do this miraculous thing. He's going to take out that heart of stone that doesn't love God, that's not looking to Jesus. And He's going to put a heart in there that does love Jesus. He's going to give you different desires. 
And if you want to know, have I been born again? There's one question I'll ask you. There are many things in the Bible that are indications that someone's been saved, that they've been born again. Here's the one question and the most important question. Do you love Jesus? Do you trust? Are you believing in Jesus? Are you trusting him? And if you find yourself hearing that and saying, well, I don't know. I've heard these things, but I don't know if I'm believing or not. Here's the answer to you. God alone is able to give you this heart that loves and trusts him. He is able to do this work and he's pleased to do it for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who seeks after God. You see how this works? We're not seeking God. If you feel this motivation within you to seek after God, to look to this son, to this Jesus as he dies under the wrath you deserve, if you have a desire for that, now hold on. No one seeks for God. So if you're if you're one who's inclined to seek after this Jesus, is there any other explanation except this Holy Spirit? This wind is blowing on you. This wind is drawing you to believe, to come to Christ. That is the message of these verses. You must be born again if you want to see eternal life, if you want to see the kingdom of God, and if you want to enter the kingdom of God. The charge to us is to repent, to see we've been wrong, and that we need somebody to do something for us we cannot do. Salvation is of the Lord. God alone is able to save. And I pray that you look to this Son. Look look to Him. See Him and be saved. So with that, I'll go ahead and pray and we'll close this portion and then we can gather for our small group. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, I do thank You for the salvation that You give us in Your Son. That You've made a way of escape and You've delivered us from the judgment that we deserve through Him. God, I praise You for these things. I ask that any young person here who's not come to faith in Your Son has not come to believe that You would blow with Your mighty wind, rush upon them, and break them, that they might see how great Your love is. Father, please help us to take these truths with us. In Jesus' name, Amen.